think we got everybody settled. Maybe. Remember to pray for Don this week. He had a cataract surgery on Friday. Just pray that the Lord will continue to, to give healing. He's talking about it itching, but of course you can't scratch your eye after you have. And I said, oh, that would drive me right up a wall. So pray that the Lord will calm that itchy in the eye stuff going on. <laughs> but that's what happens is it heals, and that's a good sign that it's healing, but still drives you nuts. So pray for Don. Open in God's word to the book of Acts. We'll continue on. The second missionary journey began at the end of chapter 15. And um, Paul and Paul and Silas headed back north and west. And, and uh, Barnabas and John went back to Cyprus to, to check in with the churches. Paul and Silas went to Lystra and Derby. Doesn't talk that they went to Iconium or, or Antioch and checked in with those churches there. But if you remember, then they headed west. Towards, towards the province of Asia there, which is like the western side of Turkey. And the Holy Spirit said, er, nope, you're not going there. So they said, okay, let's go north to Bithynia. And er, nope, not going there. So they kind of went between the two and made it to Troas. And uh, from there they caught a boat to Philippi. We know what happened in Philippi with, the, with Lydia and then the slave girl they cast the demon out of and then the Philippian jailer, the earthquake, and the, the guy singing at midnight. I know some guys that sing so bad that they could cause an earthquake. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. These guys were singing good, though, because they were praising the Lord. Uh, the earthquake, uh, the Philippian jailer um, in, his, in his house heard the word of God and, and believed and were baptized. And the, and the part of chapter 16 to understand it and kind of what Luke was trying to show us was there was Lydia, who was a, a wealthy woman, uh, had her own business. There was the slave girl. And then there was the Philippian jailer, and it, and it shows, okay, we've got men and women involved. We've got rich and poor involved. We've got uh, a person of status. Um, but the gospel was to go to all of them. Uh, there was different, uh, what do we say, economic, social status, whatever, in, in each one of those situations. And, and yet the Lord wanted the word to go to each one of them. And, and Paul and Silas were, were uh, fulfilling uh, the Great Commission by doing that. And, and by going to them, and of course, they, they get ran out of, um, out of uh, Philippi. The, the magistrates wanted them out of town. Remember, Paul, Paul, they sent their policemen to tell them to go. And, and Paul said, wait a minute. We want the magistrates to come and do their job the way they're supposed to because we're Roman citizens. And so and, and that we talked about was an opportunity for, for Paul to lend his Roman citizenship as a way to, to protect the church just so that before anybody would just reach out and grab some of the Christians, start beating on them, they'd have to, to stop and think, well, wait a minute, maybe these are some Roman citizens we've got to be careful with, and we just, we, we got to follow due process of the law and, and be careful there. And, and Paul lent that to him in the beginning of chapter 17, where we were last week, they, they headed to Thessalonica, and we, we know that we, we talked about the, the action verbs in verse 2, um, of course, my, part of my favorite verse in Acts is at the end of 17.2, where it says that Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures, okay? 
And, and that becomes even more important as he moves on to Athens, and we're going to talk about that today. Um, but the, the, the action verbs that Paul did, we, we had discussed a couple chapters ago, the action verbs of what God did for the people of Israel, the Jews. And now we hear, <clears throat> have some action verbs that Paul did uh, for the, the people of Thessalonica as he's presenting the gospel. He's reasoning, explaining, he's, he's giving the word, he's providing, proclaiming, and persuading them that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And when the Jew hears that, their ears, their ears perk up because they were looking for the Messiah. And what, you mean he was here and gone and we missed him? And the, and the reason they missed him is because they were expecting a conquering hero. They, they weren't looking for a humble servant that would ride into town on a donkey. They, they wanted the loud hero to, to come in and overthrow the Romans. And that's why so many of the Jews, even to this day, don't acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. Um, just, just a note, and I don't know how your, the way your Bible lines up, but for me it's almost, in my translate, it's almost straight across for three columns. Uh, bear with me. Thessalonica, Acts 17.2. Um, he went to them for three days, reasoning with them from the scriptures, uh, I'm sorry, the end of verse 1 says that they were in the synagogue. Um, then they go to Berea, 17 verse 10, says they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And then the, the next column in my Bible, it says, uh, verse 17, he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews. So we, we, it, it says in 17 too, according to Paul's custom, and, and it certainly was, that he wanted to take the gospel to his fellow Jews first. But he never stopped there. He included the Gentiles. And, and then they'd go outside of the synagogue and, and teach in the city to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, 17.4, last week when we were in Thessalonica, it says, some of them were persuaded... And again, the way my Bible lines up, it's right across the column. That when they got to, be, to Berea, many of them believed, some versus many. And we'll get a little bit more into that when we, we get into Berea today. But the, the, let's see, the Jews became jealous, verse 5. Okay. And they, they came looking for him. There was three things, that, three goals that they had uh, that, that the locals, the local Jews uh, had in, in their scenario here and in their situation. One, they, they wanted to stir up trouble for Paul and Silas and say, hey, they're troublemakers. They're turning the world upside down. Number two, uh, they, they condemned Jason because he was, that's where they were staying and they were helping, he was helping them out. And then they, they, they um, sorry, Oh, they, they accused, they said that, that these guys, Paul and Silas, they're, they're acting contrary to Caesar. They're, they're saying that there's another king, which, which was always kind of funny to hear the Jews say that because they hated the Romans. And here they're, they're accusing Paul and Silas of trying to, to say there's another king other than Caesar. So if they just listened to themselves, they, they'd hear how stupid it was what they were saying. They stirred up the crowd in the city authorities, verse 8, and when they had received the pledge from Jason, they, they took bond or security from them, uh, they, they released them. 
and immediately, verse 10, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Berea was about a 50-mile trek. Um, some scholars believe that to get there, he only traveled at night. So it probably took him two or three nights to, to get to Berea, trying to go under the cover of darkness for protection, which could, not, could, could be bad too, because you never knew where robbers and that were, but I guess they were more afraid of the, the Jews in Thessalonica. Now when uh, they went into the synagogue, verse 10, and as we head into verse 11, now they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Now, I don't, I don't know how you raised, for those of you that have children, I don't know how you raised your kids, but it's never, they, they say, and, and I don't think it is, it's never a good thing to compare one to the other. Okay? Well, why can't you do that as good as Susie does it? Our, our kid, a couple of our kids encountered that in school with teachers. The first one came through and, you know, was the teacher's pet because they just clicked for whatever reason. Then the number two child came along and, and she couldn't do anything right because the first one was perfect in this teacher's eyes, you know, and, and everything was bad for the second one. Well, for some reason, Paul here doesn't, or Luke, writing the book, doesn't mind comparing uh, that, in the, the, that the believers in Thessalonica weren't quite as noble as those in Berea. So I think maybe if I was from Thessalonica, I would have taken a little offense there. But it says, for they received, uh, in verse 11, referring to the, to the Bereans again, they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, along with a number of the prominent Greek women and men, Interesting here, the way Luke chooses to write it, is that it, in verse 2 and 3, he's telling us all the things that Paul was doing for the believers in Thessalonica. Here, in the Berea, he describes what the Bereans were doing. And evidently, this is why they were more noble, is because here the Bereans were with great eagerness receiving the word and examining the scriptures daily. So the, the action verbs switch from Paul carrying out action upon the Thessalonians to, in Berea, the Bereans and what they were actually doing in response to Paul. But they were active. They were actively studying. And, and they didn't just do it on Sunday, or excuse me, the Sabbath for our application. They didn't just do it on Sunday. They did it every day of the week. They studied, they looked, they compared. And, and Paul, what being, being the, the stickler for good doctrine, it, it probably pleased his heart to see them getting into the Word and making sure that what he was giving them on the Sabbath was in fact from the Scriptures. That it was truth. And so they, they got into it every day. Paul, Paul was not one to beat you over the head with the doctrine and said, you got to believe it the way that I said it. But you got to believe it the way that it's in God's word. And you got to get in here and dig. And that's what they did. 
Verse 13, the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea also. Uh Uh-oh. You can see what's coming here again, right? They came there. They came from Thessalonica. They they made the 50-mile trip. 50 miles back then was, was, you know, it wasn't what it is today. It, It took some work. It took some effort. But they were so much against Christ that they were willing to take that 50 miles, leave Thessalonica, get down to Berea, and stir up trouble. Verse 14, immediately the brethren, when they, they came uh, stirring things up, the, the, the handlers, shall we say, Paul and Silas's handlers, or their, maybe their hosts in Berea, weren't, weren't waiting for them to get thrown in jail. Immediately they sent Paul to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now, many, many of the, the scholars, Bible scholars, will say that, that they, they deployed him to the sea to make the, the people, the, the Jews chasing him, think that he got on a boat, but then he actually went by land to Athens. Whether that matters anything, I don't know, but... Um, they, they were doing what they could to protect him. They were trying to make sure that he would have safe passage, but if the people thought that, that he went by sea, then they wouldn't try to follow him by land. Now they, uh, those, verse 15, those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Saul and Timothy, or Silas and Timothy, stayed behind in Berea, and it's even thought that it, while, while Paul was in Athens waiting for them, uh, there's the thought that at some point Timothy even went back to Thessalonica just to shore up the church there, and Silas stayed in Berea. And eventually at some point both of them meet up with, with Paul in, in Athens. But um, nobody knows exactly how long, but it, it seems that very well Paul could have been in Athens on his own for a couple months, maybe several months, uh, to, to carry out the work there. I think we briefly mentioned this last week, but as the Jews that didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, those that were staunch Pharisees in the, in the synagogues, thought that they could hopefully try to stamp this thing out. And so every time they went and persecuted... In, in Paul and Silas, and this, this, in this case by himself, Paul went on to Athens alone. Instead of containing it, they were actually spreading it. They, 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 those trying to stomp it out, were actually helping to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oops. <laughs> Unintended consequences. When, when you make economic decisions, there's that term of unintended consequences. That, that you, you do this with this goal in mind and you get to there, but it also made this happen over here that may or may not be good, okay? Unintended consequences. They, they tried to squelch it, to stamp it out, to, to contain it, and all it did was squirt out and, and spread further and faster. God kind of has, has a sense of humor. He used what they were doing, trying to stomp it out to spread the gospel. Paul gets to Athens. I'm going to give you 
a, a brief history lesson on Athens, and, and anybody that would listen, listen to me in the next couple minutes might say I'm an unlearned and uneducated guy because I am going to slaughter these names, okay? I'm just going to tell you right now, some of you may just grind your teeth if you know how to say them properly that I'm going to slaughter them, but I'll apologize ahead of time. Paul is, is in Athens, says while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was beholding the city full of idols. He's walking around the city. He's, he's looking and he's, he's observing. And there's something that's vexing his heart. All right? At this time in history, Athens was, as one scholar says, was late afternoon of her glory. Or as I would say, she was past her prime. She'd had her heyday. She was still a beautiful city, still had much to offer, but, but things, the, the, the focal point it was beginning to move from Athens over to Corinth. And, and Corinth was becoming more of the, the artsy uh, center of, of their society and the economics with the canal is there. And, and uh, that it is, of course, it wasn't there then. But um, just that it was taking the focus away from Athens and, and drawing the attention over there. But the people of, of Athens um, had formed the first democracy, okay, where, where elected officials were held responsible. Huh, what a novel idea. They were, held, uh, uh, they were held accountable to the people. Okay, here we go with the slaughter. Herodotus and Thucydides were, were considered the fathers of history. They were in Athens. Some of you might, and I, hopefully I'm going to get this one a little closer to correct. Hippocrates... Does that ring a bell? Anybody have an idea what he was the father of? Medicine, medicine right? We get the Hippocratic Oath from him, but the, the father of Western medicine. You have the philosophers, uh, Socrates, who taught Plato, and then Plato, who taught Aristotle. You have Phidias, who was an artist. He uh, carved the statue of Zeus. He designed the statue of Athena in Athens. Athena was the, the, the home god, home turf, shall we say. Athena's statue sat in the Parthenon uh, on, the, on the top of the hill. In, in most of the cities in Greece, the, the highest point would, would be a temple to, the, to their god, whatever their god was in, in their city. But the... the, the uh, the Roman satirist Xenophon said that it was, he thought it was easier in Athens to find a god than a person. There were so many gods and statues all around the city that you'd be more likely to bump into one of the idols than you would be to another person. There were so many. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the Parthenon was built up on, on top of the Acropolis there, the, the hill. And, and it was just the temple to all their gods. One would say that, that the city was smothered with idols or swamped with idols everywhere you went, every time you turned around. There was another stone sculpture to, to one of the gods. The, the, the people of Athens were always curious about what was new. And, and they figured the more gods, the better. Okay? 
So if you had a new god, you called, brought it and presented it, and it wasn't a threat to any of their gods that they already had, they'd let you put one of your, your idols in the city somewhere or in the, in the temple. We're going to look today, and, and we will not finish chapter 17 today. We're going, to, we're going to look at what Paul saw. We've already been talking about it, the idols, what he felt, what he did. And the next week we'll look at what he said. And what he said will be um, verses 22 to 31 that we'll kind of not even try to get to today. But the city was smothered with idols. And Paul saw it everywhere he went, and, and, and he, he, he was, I mean, you could, you could enjoy the art value of all these sculptures, because the people that did them were obviously talented. And, and the art was beautiful for art's sake, but the problem was that they, is that they were all idols to gods. And Paul knew that there was only one true God that should have been served. The art impressed him for art's sake, but it didn't impress him because that there was idols that were drawing attention for, away from the creator to the created. Beauty was, was something to behold in the eye, but if it was something that didn't honor God, he wasn't interested. It perplexed him, and, and the word here is that it provoked, in verse 16, that it provoked within him as he was beholding the city full of idols. Okay, that, that gets into what he felt, but, but God's, uh, let's see, the, the God-given artistic creative was given to idolatry, not to honor and worship God. What did Paul feel? He was greatly distressed and perplexed. The, the, some say that this, the word in the Greek is, has to do with the temper tantrum, but not, there, there's not very many of the scholars that, that believe that. They believe that it was more of a long-term thing that just kind of built in him. Um, he was perplexed. It was not a sudden temper, but it was a continuous, settled reaction. Uh, it, it was something that greatly disturbed Paul. Um, it, it, it kept him awake at night, we could say. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8 I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Our God is a jealous God. He wants us to focus on him. He wants us to worship him. He alone is worthy of our praise. He, he is the one that created all of this. And here they're giving credit to all these stone idols that are just dead cold stone that mean have no value in anybody's lives, that do absolutely nothing for anybody. God says, I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Second Corinthians 11, if you would turn there with me. And Corinth is, is just a little further down the, the road from Athens and Paul's next stop. But in writing later, years ahead, writing back to the Corinthians, 
2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Paul says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid, lest the serpent deceived, as, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom, you, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirits which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. If you stay true to the word of God, and you, you don't fall for the next best thing, you, you don't fall for the next thought, you do well. You bear this beautifully. And, and it's a matter of, of, as he says in verse 2, it's a matter of godly jealousy. That, that we should want that worship to not go to idols, but that that worship should go to Christ. That the creator of the universe, the one that created more than we know, is the one that should receive the glory. His name should be exalted. His his. He, he should be on the top of the hill. We don't want to build statutes of God and worship them. We don't want to put them in a temple and, and worship those. But shall we say God's temple should be on the top of the hill? Paul was hurting inside. He had a jealousy for God's name. So, of course, what does Paul do being Paul? Verse 17. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. So what did he do? He, he, he does what Paul does. He goes back to preaching the word. And there's, there's three places that he does it. One is in the synagogue, two is in the marketplace, and three is what we're going to talk about next week. All right? He, he goes before the council in the city in, in Athens there to declare that there is one God in the city where there's so many statutes and gods that you can't hardly turn around without bumping into one, he is going to have the nerve to proclaim that there is one. Okay, I'm getting ahead. That's next week. Just, just a little teaser so you'll come back. <laughs> Verse 17, in the synagogue and then in the marketplace every day. Verse 18, also some of the Epicureans Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him, and some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans were the, um, I guess if you would have said in the 60s, they were the free lovers. 
They were the philosophers of the garden. They were, they were, if it feels good, do it. Let's enjoy ourselves while we're here. When we die, we just go back to ashes. There's nothing after this life, so you might as well live it up while you're here. The Stoics, they were pretty much the opposite. They were, they were the uh, philosophers of the porch. Uh, they, they uh, well, let me get my notes here. They, okay, the Epicureans said enjoy life. The Stoics said endure life. It's fate. Whatever happens is going to happen. So you got, you got the, the two contrasting, uh, contrasting views there. But neither, neither one of them cared about this other God. Yeah, just throw that God on the heap with the rest of them because they don't really influence or have anything to do with our daily lives. They, 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 don't, they, they, they were a little more realistic. They, they, they knew that these stones didn't do anything for or against you because they were stones. But some of them were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? And, and if I said to you after church, man, you are an idle babbler, I don't think you would take that as a compliment. They didn't mean it as a compliment. <laughs> but what, what, in the Greek, what that means is they were calling him, they were basically calling him a seed picker. The picture is of a bird coming and picking a little seed here and a little seed there and a little seed there. Basically, they were accusing him of having no original ideas of his own. He was picking up everybody else's ideas and just a little from here and a little from there and from there. And, and to them it wasn't making any sense. Which we know that to those that aren't spiritually discerning, it's not going to make sense until God opens their eyes and gives them understanding. But what would the idle babbler wish to say? It's so basically this dude's a plagiarizer. He's stealing thoughts from everybody else. He's got none of his own. He's an idiot. I mean, it's essentially what they're, what they're calling him. He's got no original thought of his own. He seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. Now, I have never heard this before, but several of the commentators that I study uh, approach this subject um, and, and it's maybe, maybe because nobody else there says it. I don't know. But in the Greek, the word for resurrection, let me see if I can get this right, is anastasius. And in, in, in the Greek, that's feminine. And they thought that Jesus was a male god and that anastasius was his wife, basically, was, was the idea. And we know that in, in the Greek mythology and Greek stuff and all that, that, that it was a lot more sordid than that, but we'll just say that for, for our thoughts right now. They, they thought that this, they didn't understand that the resurrection, that, that Anastasia was not a woman, but that it was the resurrection. And it's kind of funny because as the Greeks wanted to keep their their gods together and they figured if it was a male god he had to have a female god right and, and you don't separate the two 
Well, well, that's good because you can't separate Christ from the resurrection. They come together. It's a ticket that that that's stuck together for time and eternity. Because you don't have Christ without the resurrection. You don't have the resurrection without Christ. Obviously, they didn't understand it. They said, who is this guy? And, and what are these new deities? They took him, verse 19, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know that this, what this new teaching is that you are proclaiming? For you're bringing some strange things to our ears. We want to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So they're taking them to the council, to the city council. And the city council has the authority over anything religious and anything artsy. Anything to do with art or anything in their education circles. And so... Before, before we're going to let you put your God up here with our gods, we're going to take you to the council and see if they approve. So it wasn't really a... Uh, I mean, Paul, Paul is used to going through and getting beaten and, and thrown out and run out of town. And, and this isn't the same tense or the same idea. It doesn't have the same uh, physical threat to him. But yet at the same time, he's going to be given an opportunity to defend himself. And that's what we're going to look at next week. Opportunity to, to share the gospel. And, and you, if, you, if you read or study this at all this week, you'll have the privilege of seeing how Paul knows. Paul, Paul was a Pharisee. Paul had all the education. He passed all of his speech classes, okay? He, he's, he's not a novice or a rookie to this idea. And obviously, he's, he, they did the first missionary trip, and they're, on, they're halfway through their second one. He, he's not a novice at this. He's, he knows. And yet, when, when, when he talks to a crowd, he understands how to approach them. He, he knows where they're at intellectually, what level. You, you don't start talk, talking rocket scientists to a group of preschoolers. They're not going to get it. You talk about stories from the Bible and Jesus and the, the loaves and fishes. Okay? When you talk to rocket scientists, you talk about something else. And so next week we're going to see what he talks to them about and, and how he approaches them. And, and he, he was a very obviously a very gifted speaker. Because he knew how to adjust that. He didn't change the message. It was always Jesus Christ. And we, our salvation is only through him. It's only in his power. And through what he did for us on the cross. And that he is the resurrected Messiah. That we have salvation. But the way he talked to his audience changed. And he approached it differently. So I don't have to tie this up next week. We're going to skip down to verse 32 real quick. Now when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, We shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst. But some men joined him and believed. Among those were Dionysus and Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. It's the same thing that we've seen in each city. Just as Noah was mocked, 
Lot was mocked when he told his son-in-laws, guys, we got to leave. And they were like, you're a joke. What are you talking about? And Christ was mocked. So in each of the towns that Paul and, the, 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 and Silas and Timothy are preaching the word, there are those that mock. And we will find that when we share the gospel today. There will be those that mock us and just kind of sneer and laugh and say, you're an idiot. That's all right. Then there's going to be some that say, hmm, tell me more. They want to be challenged intellectually. Or they want to know because God's working on their heart. Then there's the third group are those that accept and believe what is taught. And that's in verse 34. The, the people are mentioned there. And it says others with them. It wasn't just those three. It's, there's others there that believe the word and believe that Jesus was the Savior. That Jesus died for our sins and that he rose again. Next week, well, I, I kind of skipped that because I want to kind of wrap that up and tie it in so I can focus next week on, on the message of, of Paul to the, to the people there on Mars Hill from verse 22 to 31. So, receive and examine the word just like the Bereans did. Don't take what I say for heart, especially when you have preachers on TV or radio that say, send the money, whatever. What they say, don't take it with a grain of salt. Take it to the word of God and test it against the words here because this is truth, okay? Receive the word, examine the word. And last week, when we, when we jumped to Thessalonians and talked a little bit about the ministry that, that Paul had in Thessalonica and talked about what it was, one of the things that, that was so special about the ministry was that the people in Thessalonica did receive it as the word of God. They knew it wasn't just Paul's and Silas's words. They accepted it and received it as the word of God. That's what we need to do, brothers and sisters. This is the words of God right here that we have. And it's the truth. Receive it, examine it, examine it every day of the week. Spend time in it, examine it, dig deeper, chew on it. What other phrases can I use here so you get the picture? Spend time in it. I've told this before, but my Greek class the teacher said, one hour a day, folks. Don't come the day before and try to do the seven hours the day before classic thinking you'll get it. Of course, I was younger and stupider then, and I said, ah, day before, seven hours, I didn't get it. But when I started doing the hour every day like he told us to, you know, it's kind of like he knew what he was talking about. It started to soak through the gray matter and made a little bit more sense, a whole lot more sense. Do that with God's word, people. Every day, soak in it, marinate, so that when you're squeezed, Jesus comes out. It's not going to happen if you don't get in the Word. And you, you won't feel the sense of urgency that Paul had to share the gospel with these people when he saw all their... And we have our gods today. We may not have a little stone idol on our, on our mantle or anything like that, but we have our gods We should be perplexed over those gods in our lives, just as Paul was as he was in Athens. It should disturb us. It should bother us. There should be nothing in our lives 
that we spend more time on than we do God. Peter's preaching to himself. Yes, we have to work. I get that. But be in the word, people. Be in the word. Father, thank you for this time together. Father, excite our hearts. Activate us. Wake us up to the fact that to know you better, we have to spend time with you. We've got to spend time in your word. Thank you for the testimony and the witness of Paul and Silas and Timothy and so many others that laid their lives down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Draw us to you this week, Father, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please don't forget the clip.